Hello and welcome to this episode of Travel Stories from the Back Again and Gone podcast, being recorded in the beautiful Spring Hill Suites, Albany, New York. Today, it's just a bunch of travel mishmash. Thanks for listening. Hello and welcome. Tonight's episode, like I said, is just a bit of travel mishmash, just tidbits and whatnot of information that I've come across in the last week or so. So one of the big changes for me is I recently got rid of my Samsonite Travel Pro piece of luggage. And this is probably the third, at least the second, possibly the third generation of Samsonite Travel Pro that I've had. But I'll tell you what, this one I bought when I relocated to Orlando. So roughly three years and looking at TripIt, I spent last night, last night, last year, about 240 nights on the road. And this year, I think year to date, I'm somewhere around 150. And probably I'm going to guess that roughly four to 450 nights worth of travel was packed into that bag. And it just is shambles. The handles come apart. The interior is torn. And one of the guys that I work with as well has the same bag. And we generally tend to buy the same bags because we know where everything fits. We know where the pockets are. We all have procedures that we do when we load up and where we put something as simple as where I put my car keys when I leave the uh, the car at the airport. I know it goes in a specific pocket. Very regimented. And so... Uh, I was talking to the uh, the CEO of Chateau Relaxo, and she was like, you know, you probably ought to try something different. And so I bought a four-wheeler, hard-sided, away brand bag. And that's the bag that you see everybody carrying. And I've always shied away from hard shell luggage. And the reason was uh, we hired a new hire probably about seven or eight years ago. And he flew into the Atlanta airport. And I picked him up at the airport. And when he got his bag off the luggage, <laughs> it was crushed. I mean, the hard case was just destroyed. And right then and there, it kind of made up my mind that a, a hard shell case just probably wasn't the way that I needed to go. I have uh, kind of changed my mind. I ordered online from away, I think with a discount code, the bag was probably 200 bucks. I bought the one with the removable 10,000 milliamp battery charger in it. I wish I probably hadn't bought it because you've got to, if you ever check the bag, you've got to take it out of the luggage. It's just a real hassle. It was probably an extra 20 bucks to, to buy the, to buy that option. And I could probably could have spent 20 bucks on a yet another anchor battery pack that I could have thrown in my backpack. But all in all, I'm about two weeks into this bag. I've actually checked it twice which is surprising for me, but I was really interested to see how it would do. If you look, I did a video a couple of years ago about why I don't lock luggage. And there's a simple reason. You can buy the greatest TSA lock that you can find, but most of the time you can actually take a ballpoint pen and just pop the zipper teeth wide open and unzip a bag and rezip it, and nobody will know that you're in. Well, this bag's designed a little bit different. It does have a TSA-friendly lock, so I can lock the bag, but the zipper is somewhat concealed, making it really tough for somebody to pop the, the zipper open. It takes a little bit of getting used to because it's it's a hard-sided bag. When you open it up, there's a zipper on the right, 
with a compartment and a zipper on the left. But so far, it seems to be working out pretty good. I was a little concerned with having the four wheels, as one of the guys at the office had bought a four-wheel bag and had it for possibly one or two trips. And that's when he discovered that most hotel parking lots are not level, and the bag had a tendency to roll quickly away from the car. So at this point, I haven't had that happen. It is nice going across the uh, linoleum or marble floors. At the airport, it rolls really nice, stands up straight. And I am basically a bear with furniture, so we'll see how long this bag lasts. You know, who knows? Maybe we'll get we'll get some mileage out of it. I think it's got some kind of warranty on it, which I'm sure my Samsonite bag did. Really just too lazy to pursue turning it in and getting anything back. I even put up a picture of the handle on Twitter about how it had come apart. Absolutely no response from Samsonite. So kind of a letdown. You know, things change, so we'll we'll see how it goes. So a couple things in travel news. Early part of the month, the Orange County Airport, John Wayne's Airport, lost all its power. And so they ended up canceling flights. Just about anything past 7.30 p.m. on uh, Friday night, August 3rd. John Wayne's not a huge airport. It's not one of the mega ports, but you could just imagine how devastating uh, not having power is and not having flights. So it started really getting me getting me thinking a little bit about as we start to go into uh, winter season for travel and especially being in, in the Florida area or based out of Florida with hurricane season. You know, when it comes to weather, you have got to decide early, you know, do you need to, to leave early? Do you need to cancel a flight? Don't wait. If by chance the uh, airline sends you a, uh, a, a gentle reminder, as they say, that weather is approaching, you know, take that as a, uh, a call to action to get online, check out weather.com and really see what's going on. If they offer you a earlier flight, do yourself a favor, take it. Uh, this time of year, we've talked about it before, travel can back up really, really quick. And if you're in a late afternoon flight flying out of anywhere on the eastern uh, seaboard, it can be rough. I had a buddy of mine Leave. I think I talked about it on the last episode. We were coming out of Newark. He had a late afternoon flight from Newark back into Columbia. He didn't get home till 3 o'clock in the morning. Myself, I actually found myself back up in, in the New Jersey area. I've been up here, gosh, probably twice, two trips in the last two to three weeks. Coming out of Newark last Friday night, I didn't get home till about 1, 1.30 Saturday morning. So it's just... It's tough. So when it comes to weather, if you have the opportunity, don't necessarily ponder on it, react. If they offer you an earlier flight, by all means, if it's not going to impede your your working abilities, consider taking it. You know, especially being in the hurricane, hurricane zone down here in Florida, same thing. I mean, you know, the weather may be absolutely beautiful up in Tennessee, but if things start rolling in down south, you know, oftentimes I've had to come home and, and put shutters up around the house. Uh, you know, that being said, a lot of things can be handled via a GoTo meeting or a Zoom meeting. When GoTo meeting first hit, I don't know when we first started using it, probably mid 2000s, early 2000s, it was a godsend. I mean, well, we would get on a plane to do something just very simple could now be handled remotely. And that was when GoTo meeting was in its infancy. And now you look at TeamViewer and some of the other applications that are out there. 
It's amazing what you can do remotely. I call it the death of distance. You've heard me say it before, but it really is. It doesn't matter. You know, I don't have to be on site all the time. You can do a lot remotely. So the no power, no problem really got me thinking the other night when I read that article. You know, one of the things that I've changed that that I used to not do is I carry a little bit more cash. I've been a debit card guy for years. And, you know, anytime that we would run someplace that didn't have lunch, that, that we went for lunch or went out to eat that didn't burn plastic, I ended up finding myself either having to bum, you know, 10 bucks off somebody or finding the conveniently located ATM at that establishment that went on to gouge me, you know, anywhere from 3 to $4 to get some money back out. So I've gotten in the habit of carrying, you know, a, a 20 or, a, you know, a couple 10s and a, and a few 5s. It makes all the difference in the world. You know, you never know when it's real easy to to, to pass out cash and, and get yourself out of a, uh, a tough situation. The other thing to consider, and you should do this anyway, is prepare your technology. You know, charge everything that you have before you leave the house. You know, don't hit the airport with a cell phone at 20% or 30% battery life because you're going to get bored out of your skull and start playing uh, Candy Crush or checking the social media sites, and before you know it, you're going to have a a battery with no juice in it. Believe me, assure me, I can tell you that uh, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook can easily survive without you checking it every five minutes or so. The other thing is let people know where you are. I usually talk to my family twice a day, generally early in the morning, and generally before evening. I have a trip at calendar that is shared with the CEO of Chateau Relaxo, so she knows, you know, for the most part where I am or where I'm supposed to be. You know, let them know. I mean, there could be nothing more terrifying to a loved one to hear about some kind of a disaster, and they not know if you're in that city, close to that city, heading to that city, putting those questions of doubt into their minds. So just uh, take a few minutes, text them, let them know where you're at. The other thing is paper still rules, <laughs> believe it or not. Yes, it's a bit archaic. But in this day and age, I still will normally print out a boarding pass. A couple reasons is, one, is I watch all these people fumbling with their smartphones trying to scan the QR boarding pass going onto a Southwest flight. Much, much easier just to hand them a piece of paper. Yeah, I'm probably killing some trees along the way, but trees are a renewable resource in my opinion. Having a piece of paper doesn't require any technology at all. For a long time, even probably within the last, up to about the last 18 months or so, whenever we would go on vacation, I still printed up paper itineraries. This last trip when we went up through uh, Niagara Falls and Buffalo, which we're trying to schedule the CEO to give you her impression of that, that adventure, she had everything printed out on a piece of paper. So nothing wrong with that at all. It's uh can be a little bit more convenient, and if you're getting elderly like myself, it could be a little bit easier on the eyes to read than a smartphone. So if you follow any of the travel sites on the blogosphere, one of the big ones is the Points Guy. I think he uh, leverages a couple of, of sponsorships from some of the credit cards, so you have to take a lot of that information with a grain of salt, especially if he's being sponsored. No harsh words against the guy. <laughs> Recently, put out the best and worst airports of 2019. Now, I don't know how in the world we're not even all the way through. We're not even three quarters of the way through 2019. So I don't know how in the world you're going to compile a list of the best and worst airports of the year when the year's not even done. 
let's uh, let's give it a shot. So it's top five, San Diego International. I've never been to. That's a, a West Coast. Phoenix Sky Harbor International. I think I connected in there once, uh, so I don't think that counts. Portland, Oregon International. Again, never been there. Uh, number four is Hartsfield Jackson Atlanta International Airport. I would put it in the top five. I would definitely put it in the top one or two as far as population density and how busy it is. But it's not a bad airport. Probably the biggest downside to me is that there's only one TSA area. And they do the best they can. They probably should subcontract with somebody from Chick-fil-A that knows how to move people through a line rapidly. The TSA, everybody has TSA pre-check in Atlanta, so oftentimes you may be better served not exercising your TSA pre-check right and going through some of the other lines. Once you get through, they've got a a train that'll take you out to each terminal. Delta owns the T-terminal, which is connected right to the main gate, so no need to get on the, uh, the, the train for that. Terminal A is predominantly Delta. B is a mix of Delta. C is pretty much owned by Southwest. And when you get down to D and E, um, you start talking to some of the international carriers. The one thing that Atlanta does a really good job of is they have some great, amazing food choices. So they have a varsity restaurant. So if you've never been to the varsity, it's a staple in downtown Atlanta. has been for, I don't know, my dad went there in the late 50s when he was at Georgia Tech. It's a... It's a, basically a drive-in. Food choices are pretty limited to hot dogs, hamburgers. Uh, they have what they call a chocolate PC, which is nothing more than chocolate milk on ice, and a good old orange Frosty, which is just absolutely mind-blowing. They've got a Carabas. Uh, the CEO and I ate there. I think last week we took a quick trip up to Atlanta and ended up stopping there on the way back out. So they've got a Carabas. They've got a Ludacris has his chicken and beer restaurant. They have a pretty good food selection. Sam Adams, a sad, Sam Adams uh, Brewery and Brew House is situated there. They've got several Toomey luggage stores, which I've never understood why anybody would drop seven or eight hundred dollars on a piece of luggage when you're already at the airport with a piece of luggage. But hey, those guys know better than me. So, so that's number four. Number five is Sacramento International Airport, or as I call it, Sacktown. So the West Coast pretty much rules when it comes to the top five airports in the U.S., according to this 2019 survey, when we're yet to be even three-quarters of the way through 2019. So are you ready for this, folks? Here are the five worst airports in the U.S., according to the Points Guy Special Report. Number 46 is Southwest Florida International Airport. I have not flown out of this airport, in or out, in probably about 10 years. I don't recall anything super bad about it, and I don't recall anything super great about it. Just to me, a middle-of-the-road airport. Detroit Metropolitan Wayne County Airport comes in at 47. Uh, If you're in Detroit anyway, you're probably not in a great mindset. So, uh, haven't been to that airport, but would probably agree with that. 48. Fort Lauderdale Hollywood International Airport, I always liked. I flew out of uh, Fort Lauderdale for five, six years on a pretty regular basis. I enjoyed it. It was easy. The uh, 
The Sawgrass basically dumped you into the airport. Very easy to navigate. Two or three distinct terminals. They didn't have a lot of food choices limited to your typical, I think they had a Miami Subs and some kind of granola slash bagel yogurt place. Uh, to write home about, but easy to navigate and easy to get through, and that's really what we want. Number 49, this was surprising, Orlando International Airport. But on the other hand, I don't necessarily disagree. I spend a lot of time at this airport. There's plenty of parking, but I think what makes it rough is you've got two distinct groups of people. So you got the people that are arriving, that are heading out to Disney World and Universal looking forward to a great and fabulous weekend or week. And then you have the group that's leaving after the fabulous week at Universal and Disney, and they're usually broke, they're sunburnt, mom's mad at dad, dad's mad at mom, the kids are grumpy, nobody slept. Uh, it's just the perfect storm, a recipe for disaster. The offerings inside the airport, it could use some updating, definitely. I, I fly predominantly, I'm on Southwest out of Terminal A, you know, they got a Jersey Mike's. They've got a, a cask and larder restaurant, which I like. Usually when the CEO and I travel, we'll stop there and grab a, a pre-flight drink. And then uh, Terminal B, I believe, is United. I've been flying United. A little bit more updated terminal. You know, some of the things that aren't great about that terminal, there's not a ton of outlets Southwest has done a pretty good job of putting outlets in the seats. They do have free Wi-Fi, which is nice, but still a pretty dated terminal. One of the things I don't necessarily care for is you've got to take, uh, I call it the plane train, from the terminal back to the main terminal, which can be a little bit of a grind after you're wanting to get home and get off the flight. And number 50 on the list is Chicago Midway. <laughs> I've been, I've spent my fair share at Chicago Midway. It is a zoo. Uh, there's people everywhere. It's, again, another one of those airports that's dated. I, thankfully, I've never had to go in and out of the airport. It's only been connections, so it hasn't been that bad. It's not a bad airport to navigate around when you're when you're trying to connect, catch connections. I would not, especially this time of year, I would not book a connection anywhere less than an hour between flights. So actually in the morning, I've got a connection coming out of Albany. I've got to connect in BWI for about an hour and a half. And that's that's not bad to give you enough time to, to stretch my legs and get a cup of coffee or something before I catch a flight into uh, O-Town. So since we're talking about airports, here's a couple additional tips. Uh, do yourself a favor. Get to the airport early. Even... In Orlando, which is, if you've got TSA pre-check, you can usually get through pre-check in probably less than seven or eight minutes, is get to the airport early. I traveled with a guy for years that was famous for, we would we would get on the plane, if we weren't the last two people, we were the, the third and the fourth to the last people getting on the plane. I don't know if it was just an adrenaline rush for this guy or what, not for me. I, I give myself plenty of time. Most airports have Wi-Fi. I could just assume work there as I could at home or in a hotel room. Why not? Why put that extra stress on me worried about? So get to the airport early. If you have the chance, take an Uber to the airport. You know, parking at, at Orlando is almost 20 bucks a day. Off-site parking is, is expensive as well. 
you know what, if you're going to be there for four or five days, you're easily going to rack up a $100 parking tab. Do yourself a favor, take an Uber, take a Lyft, uh, let somebody else do the driving and relax and hopefully save yourself a few uh, shekels along the way. If you're going to check luggage, which you know my my spiel, two types of luggage, carry on and lost. But if you are going to check luggage, especially at MCO, inside is packed. So if you don't have A-list preferred with Southwest where you can go to the full service counter, if you've got to stand in the line at United, consider using curbside check-in. A lot of people forgot that. You know, that used to be the way the way it was in the 70s when it came to traveling. They still offer it. Just remember to tip the guys a couple bucks per bag, but I'll tell you what, for that, you know, four or five bucks, you could probably save yourself a solid 10 to 15 minutes instead of waiting in the line. And actually, you, you have to serve yourself at most of these bag checks nowadays. You've got to slide your license in. You've got to hit all the buttons and all the tip-tap that we used to hear the uh, attendants do on the keyboard. You're doing that on a touchscreen. It's going to print out a luggage tag. You're going to apply it. It's going to print out a boarding pass. And then you're going to walk over to the attendant, hand them your boarding pass, your ID, and your bag. So, you know, use curbside. Let them do all the work. Here's another big tip. If you're a restaurant restroom person, use the restroom before you go through TSA. People get off the plane. They immediately head for the restroom. So if you want to avoid the lines and the rush, especially you ladies, is use the restroom before you go through TSA. Remember, tip number one, get to the airport early. If you do that, you should have plenty of time to go visit the restroom. People getting off the plane immediately head for the bathroom and fill them up really quick. Here's another one. Pay attention in the security line, right? Don't stand there and crowd the belt. Your stuff's going to come out. Grab your stuff and then move away from the belt, right? So if you don't have TSE pre-checking, you have to take your belt off in your shoes and put them in the buckets. Grab the bucket. Walk over to one of the benches and get dressed. Don't sit there at the end of the belt, bent over, trying to put your shoes on where everybody else is trying to get their stuff. You look like a rube. Another thing is double check for your gate number. Once you get through security, gate numbers change just because it's printed on your ticket is gate number 72. Check the, uh, the tote board when you get into the terminal itself or look at the app on your phone, but don't trust what is written on your boarding pass necessarily. And keep an eye on the time for boarding. I've got a a couple friends that actually set an alarm on their cell phone for about 30 minutes before boarding just to kind of give them a heads up. Not a bad idea if you're one of those people that seem to be able to get uh, time gets away from them. Uh, Another thing is grab some napkins from the food court. At least that's what I do. I don't know what it is, if it's chemicals inside the plane or the pressurization, but for some reason I always end up with a runny nose when I fly. Uh, So grab a handful of those napkins. Do yourself a favor. You've always got some. And it may make you a hero if the person next to you needs one. You You can whip out a nice, clean McDonald branded napkins and come to the rescue. And the other thing we talked about earlier is book morning flights. Even if you got to get up a little bit early, the chances with morning flights are that they're not going to be delayed. The longer, the later you get into the day, those delays start piling up. And even if the delay is not at your airport necessarily, it affects everybody and it affects everybody really, really super quick. And the last thing I want to talk about today was actually a motel I came across uh, last year's spring break trip 
was a a tour of Nashville. And there's a place that they've just opened up called the Dive Motel outside of Nashville. And this is a true throwback to the motels that were out in Arizona and California during the 70s. 23 rooms, uniquely designed, one of a kind. And each room has a really cool theme from anything with a, with a, a spinning disco ball to, uh, to radio tunes from what they call dive radio. They've got cabins. Looks like a really, really, really cool place. Uh, they have a swim, <laughs> swim club and an Instagram uh, a feed as well. So if you're looking for a cool place or what looks to be a cool place in Nashville, Check out the Dive Motel. I have no affiliation with it. The rooms, you know, a, a cabin room is 160 bucks. You know, I don't know if that's most of my rooms on vacation I pay for with points. I wouldn't say that 160 bucks a night is out of the range, um, but just looks like a cool place. I could just, I could. This is one of those places that I remember traveling during the summer with my parents, and we'd roll into some old. Uh, no-tell motel out in the middle of Arizona or California. And this, look at these pictures, truly reminds me of that place. I'll put a link to it in the show notes. But like I said, if you're somewhere around Nashville and you like old 1970s looking restaurants and, and deep, rich wood paneling, definitely worth checking this place out. Well, there you have it. Thanks for listening and safe travels. Hey, wait a second. Don't go. Make sure you check out all the blogs over at HypeAmerica.com. From food to travel to just general life humor, we cover all the topics. Thanks again.